And so with these kind of introductory uh, ideas in mind, uh, let's now turn to uh, the book of Ruth as a whole. What we're going to do today, uh, this is going to be uh, kind of uh, an introductory message. And so we're going to kind of skip around to several different verses. So it'd be good for you to have the book of Ruth open, but just know that we're going to be jumping around a little bit, a verse here and a verse there and that sort of thing. Uh, And we're really just going to look at two main things here today. The first one is we're going to look at some background information on the book itself. And then we're going to look at some of the predominant themes that we see uh, on the pages of, of Ruth. Okay? And so as we begin with our background information, I want us to look at Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, where we read this. Now it happened in the days when the judges judged that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in uh, Judah went to sojourn in the fields of Moab with his wife and his two sons. This really is kind of the bulk of the introductory and background information for this book. We do not know who the author of Ruth was. We do not know when Ruth was written. We do know when the events of Ruth happened. We don't know when those, the book was actually written down. And we know that it happened during, as verse 1 says, the time of the judges. It was during that time of Israel's history. Um, that, that these uh, events happen. The uh, Babylonian Talmud, which is a Jewish text that includes the Mishnah, uh, which gives commentary on the Old Testament as well as the Mishnah, and was written about A.D. 500, tells us that Samuel is the author of this book. Um, now, there is kind of a lot of debate about this. Uh, that's not... Um, something that is universally agreed on. We're not totally sure, was it Samuel, was it not? Um, We're just ultimately not certain of this. Um, Outside of Samuel, though, there's really no solid ideas on on the author. It really ultimately is uh, speculation outside of that. Um, And we also don't have a lot of information on the date either. Um... As I was uh, reading through a number of commentaries uh, this week and last week, um, the, uh, the, the way that most commentators, it seems, to date this book really is based on a lot of subjective criteria based on um, their understanding of the occasion of the writing of the book. So we think that this book was written to do this, and therefore it makes sense that it was dated, written at this time. Again, all of that is highly speculative, and no one really has come to a, a hard conclusion on this. But uh, for example, I'll just, I'll just give an example of, of, of what some would do. Some people, and I, I'm saying this is a, a wrong view, but some uh, people are proposing that the book of Ruth was written as a reaction to the quote-unquote harsh perspectives of Nehemiah and Ezra. Of course, you know Nehemiah and Ezra uh, have very strong views against the Israelites marrying these foreign wives, okay? And so there are some uh, progressive uh, commentators who would go to that and simply say, well, uh, Ruth must certainly be a reaction to that and is kind of uh, pitting them against each other, and therefore Ruth must have been written around this time because of that. And so that's kind of the the 
part of what's going on when a lot of people try to date Ruth is, well, it must have been a reaction against this, and therefore uh, it must be written at this time. Um, now, there's a lot of problems with that example that I just gave you. Um, you know, uh, chief among them is assuming that these books in Scripture are in conflict with one another in some way, and I'll kind of come a little bit uh, around to that towards the end of the message today. Um, but what's going on here in the book of Ruth is that it is narrating events that took place during the time of the judges, which is the late 12th century A.D. Um, it's even possible that Ruth could have been a contemporary of Gideon, perhaps. This is certainly that period of Israel's history. Um, from this perspective, then, the book of Ruth is like one of those side stories that kind of complements the main story, right? Um, I kind of think of like the horse and his boy. You know that story. It's like all of these events are going on in Narnia, and then all of a sudden there's like this side story that um, is kind of going on off scene, but you still see sovereignty all throughout that. And that's kind of what's going on in Ruth. You've got this main uh, thrust of what's going on during the time of the judges, and then all of a sudden you have this little ray of hope in the book of Ruth during a time a very difficult time in Israel's history where every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then you see this little side story of Ruth going on here. Um, whenever it was written, and whoever wrote it, it was included in the canon of Scripture by the Holy Spirit as a way to point God's people to the hope that God is in control... And he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And to that end, we ought to read and cherish this little gold nugget that we have in our Bibles. That's about all I have on the background information. So let's look at some of the themes that we see uh, in the book of Ruth. Uh, the first theme that we're going to see here is the one that we've been uh, referencing again and again, and that is that God is sovereign, okay? Uh, we see several direct references to this in the book of Ruth. For example, in Ruth 1 and verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned from the fields of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that Yahweh had visited his people to give them food. Okay? Who are we attributing the control to? It's God. It's not that uh, this is all something that just you know, worked out in some way. It's God was in control, okay? So we have some direct statements like this. We also have another direct statement in Ruth 4, in verse 13. Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her, and Yahweh granted her conception, okay? The Lord God granted her that she would have a child. She gave birth to a son. And then you also have uh, a number of references in the book of Ruth where all of the characters in the story recognize God's hand in everything. And so you have these very direct statements, but you also have statements um, where, they, where they are just saying God's behind all of this. So Ruth 1.13, um, she says, Would you refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's more bitter for me than you. The hand of Yahweh has gone forth against me. Now, a side note, she misinterprets providence here, okay? Because God's hand was actually with her the whole time. But my point in bringing this passage up is to say 
the characters are at least recognizing that whatever is going on, God's in control of it. Whatever's going on, whatever's happening, God is behind it. Okay, Ruth 1, 20 through 21. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Again, misinterpreting providence, but providence nonetheless. I went out full, but Yahweh has caused me to return empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Yahweh has answered against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity against me. Ruth 4 and verse 12. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the seed which Yahweh will grant you by this young woman. Okay? Again, the characters are all understanding. They're all, they're all on the same page here, okay? They're all, they're all reading the same book. God's in control. Ruth 4, 14, the women said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh, who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer today, and may his name be proclaimed in Israel. This one actually goes uh, even further. We're acknowledging providence, but we're saying that providence leads us to worship. Okay? And so you see that theme throughout here. Um, also, you see examples of the characters in the book of Ruth petitioning the Lord. Again, they're not leaving things up to chance. Um, they are simply asking God for help. So you have Ruth 2 and verse 12. May Yahweh fully repay your work and may your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Okay? So you have them petitioning the Lord, trusting that the Lord will work these things out. Now, beyond these statements, so you have a number of these direct statements, but what I alluded to earlier was you have a lot of statements in Ruth that are indirect statements, okay? And the way that the book of Ruth is presented to us is such that we are supposed to look at these indirect statements and say, wait a second, that was God's hand there. Oh, wait a second, it was there. Oh, wait, that... Ah, that's God's hand. That's God's hand. Right there, right there, right there, right there. For instance, there just happened to be a famine that drove Elimelech and Naomi to Moab. And Naomi, uh, her son, just happened to marry Ruth. And Naomi just happened to hear that a famine was over. And Ruth just happened to stumble on the field belonging to Boaz. And the closer kinsman redeemer to Ruth just happened to not want to execute his right. And one of Ruth's descendants just happened to be David, who would rule the people of Israel. And it just happened that this line would lead straight to the Messiah who would redeem his people for all of eternity. Just by coincidence. <laughs> all of this stuff happened. And so taken together, you put in one pile all of the direct statements to God's sovereignty, you put in another pile all of the indirect statements to God's sovereignty, and you see unmistakably in the book of Ruth that God exercises his sovereign rule over all the world. There's nothing that escapes his grasp. God's sovereignty is so extensive that there is literally no place you can go to escape it. You, you cannot, it's not even worth trying, okay? Psalm 139 teaches us this, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. 
If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not too dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. This is the first theme, that the Lord God exercises complete and total sovereignty over every event and over every human being who's ever existed. The second theme that we see here narrated to us in the book of Ruth is that God provides redemption for his people. This is a big one because of this theme of uh, the kinsman redeemer. There is some variation of the word redeem or redeemer or kinsman redeemer 20 times in the book of Ruth. 20 times we see a variation of this word somewhere. And this book talks a lot about a Jewish concept of a kinsman redeemer. And the primary source material for this kinsman uh, redeemer is found in Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 55. And we're not going to read all of that today, but I am going to encourage you to go back and read that as some foundational material for the book of Ruth. Okay, so I'm going to say it again. So you can be ready to go here. This is the primary source material for the concept of the kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25, verses 23 through 55. Leviticus 25, 23 through 55. Now, one thing to note here is that there are some details on this practice of the kinsman redeemer that are lost to history. Okay, so for example, there are some questions in the book of Ruth uh, that remain regarding the exact nature of the connection between the sale of the land and the marriage to Ruth, right? Why does he have to uh, marry her in order to... Some of those things, uh, some of the exact details on that are a little bit fuzzy, okay? Um, But what we do understand is we understand the big picture. And I'm just going to give you an entry from the uh, Biblical Theology Study Bible that uh, tells us a little bit of of this. Um, This law, Kinsman Redeemer Law, tasks close relatives, the guardian redeemers, with buying back mortgaged clan property and freeing relatives from debt slavery. Boaz as this kinsman redeemer, buys the family land, marries Ruth to produce an heir for Naomi, and holds the land in trust on behalf of the hoped-for heir. The solution keeps Naomi's family line alive on its ancestral property. Okay, another explanation here. Um, uh, A kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the various laws found in the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act for a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need of vindication. So you have these general themes going on here in the book of Ruth. You have Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. He is here to help Naomi and her line um, so they won't lose the land and this kind of a thing. And so he redeems them uh, in this this fashion. Um, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. And by the way, he's a good one. Um, There can be some bad ones. He's a good one. Uh, And, of course, this theme of redemption that we see in the book of Ruth, kinsman redeemer, redeemer, connects to the broader theme of redemption in Scripture as 
a whole, okay, right? And so those of you who are in our new membership class, we recently just talked about biblical theology. Biblical theology is tracing these arcs in Scripture, not seeing the book of Ruth as just an isolated book, not seeing the stories of the Bible as isolated books that are just randomly scattered throughout the Bible, but actually understanding that Ruth connects to the broader themes in Scripture, particularly the theme of redemption. Specifically, that we, as Christians, have our own kinsman redeemer, whose name is Jesus Christ. The book of Ruth, then, makes a beeline for Christ, okay? And it makes a beeline to Christ and to the gospel through this theme of a redeemer. We find ourselves then, if we could uh, just um, carry this illustration out a little bit farther, or this connection out a little bit farther, we find ourselves in the place of Ruth. Um, destitute, hungry, in need of help. That's us without Christ. We need someone to step in and redeem us. We need someone to step in and save us. We need someone to come in and rescue us. We are not the heroes of the story. Okay? Jesus Christ is. He does this task and he redeems his people. The book of Ruth then, in one sense functions in this way. It gives us parched tongues longing for more. I read the book of Ruth, and I say, look at how this man stepped in, given to us by the Lord, in a very bad situation, and he redeemed and saved this family and preserved their family line. Man, I, I need that. Oh, wait, look. Jesus Christ in the gospel and it really points us, ultimately, to satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. So we have this theme um, that, uh, that God provides redemption for his people. Uh, we have the theme, of course, that God is sovereign. And now we're going to see the superiority of hesed, which is loyalty, kindness, or compassion. This is another big theme in the book of Ruth. This Hebrew word, by the way, hesed, shows up 245 times in the Old Testament. It is translated in Ruth as loving kindness. Okay? And so I want to show you some of the verses here. Ruth 1 and verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May Yahweh show loving kindness. This is the Hebrew word. Ruth 2 and verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of Yahweh, for he has not forsaken his loving kindness to the living and to the dead. And then Ruth 3.10, May you be blessed of Yahweh, my daughter. You have shown your last loving kindness to be better than the first. Again, all the same Hebrew word through here. Uh, one commentator notes, and I know that this has been uh, something that uh, probably some of you have even studied in the past, uh, on this word. Unfortunately, it's a Hebrew word that no one English word can begin to convey accurately. Uh, it is very difficult to translate from Hebrew to English this concept of hesed. Uh, 
the commentator continues, being expressive of relationships, the term uh, means altogether the notions of covenant loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy, love, compassion. Kind of all these things wrapped up uh, into one there. And we see this theme throughout the book. Um, It it is a little bit ironic, actually, that Naomi uh, misinterprets providence and says, as we saw earlier, the the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Uh, The irony is that you see on every page of this book God's loving kindness, God's covenant loyalty. And by the way, as a side note, it's very easy for us to, uh, you know, don't cast stones at Naomi because we misinterpret providence all the time. Um, Ultimately, no man can trace God's sovereign hand in history. And oftentimes it ends up being the case that we find out that some of the greatest difficulties in our lives, the Lord actually ended up using to produce the most good and the most glory for himself. And so let that just be an encouragement to you. If you find yourself in perhaps Naomi's position and you're saying the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me, um, you got to you got to go to the end to see that, or you got to flip you got to flip the the canvas over and see. Oh, this is how the Lord was tracing all of these things. Um, the difficult part of that, by the way, is that. Oftentimes, we don't get to see that finished canvas until we're glorified. Um, So this is the trusting part. This is the part where you do the trusting. um, And then that's the part where you kind of do the jaw drop to the ground and like, this is more beautiful than I can ever, ever realize. So um, we see this loving kindness throughout uh, the book. By the way, it's also uh, uh, exhorting us to go and do likewise, too, um, for us to show this has said this loving kindness, this loyalty uh, to other people as well. Okay, um, the next theme here that we're going to see in the book of Ruth is that the gospel is for all nations, um, not just the Jews. We see this because Ruth is from Moab, um, and not only is this Moabite welcome in Israel, she is in the line of Messiah. She is in Christ's line, and we see that in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. So you see that uh, Ruth has this position in the line of the Messiah. I want to frame something here for us. I want to put two things out on the table here that we need to understand in order to understand this theme that the gospel is for all nations, okay? And to do this, I want to go back to the book of Nehemiah, and I want to reintroduce something that I mentioned very briefly, and that is that there are some commentators who are approaching this, and they are saying that there is some kind of discontinuity between Nehemiah and Ruth, and that Ruth is therefore a reaction to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a little bit overkill, and so we got to bring in Ruth here to kind of even stuff out. 
Um, and, I, and I want to show very quickly how Ruth and Nehemiah are in harmony with one another and not at odds with one another. So in order to do this, we're going to read the passage from Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah 13, 23 through 27. Uh, Can you guys keep up with me back there on this one? In those days, I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Okay, we have Moab here. They're marrying Moabites, okay, just like Ruth is, is from Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak in the language of Judah, but only the tongue of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them, and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. This would not fly today, by the way, as an evangelistic strategy, okay? Um, I, I pulled out their hair and made them swear by God. It'd be a nice scene to look at, though, and see. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take up their daughters for your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God gave him to be king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have done all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God and marrying foreign women? All right, so this... um, can you kind of start to put together the piece of the puzzle here? And it's like, Ruth, they're praising Ruth, and the wedding between this Israelite man and this Moabite woman is praised and celebrated so much so that she's even in the line of the Messiah. And then you have Nehemiah over here who's saying, if you marry Moabites, I'm going to rip the hair out of your face. <laughs> okay what's going on here? Um, Maybe we can ask it in the form of a question. Does God accept foreigners or not? Okay. Um, And I'm just going to be kind of straightforward here. I don't get this. I don't get why people have a hard time with this, okay? I do not understand why this is a difficult concept to understand. You have people over here pointing to the book of Ruth and pointing to examples of Jesus eating with sinners and saying, therefore, we should accept sin. God has always accepted foreigners, Jews, Gentiles, and God accepts anyone He accepts them, though, on his terms. Okay? That is the difference here. Okay? Nehemiah is describing a situation where they marry all of these foreigners. And he gives examples, specifically in Nehemiah, how they are drawing these Israelites away from God. That's a problem, okay? What does Ruth describe? Ruth describes an example where a Moabite converts and worships the true God. This is apples and oranges, 
over here. Okay, these are two completely different situations. God has always accepted foreigners. It's just they have to repent first. Okay, if you're from Moab, if you're from China, if you're from wherever, if you're this, if you're that, if you struggle with this sin or that sin, you commit this. Repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're welcome home. Okay, that by the way is the story of the prodigal son. Um, he repented. I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father accepts him based on his repentance. Okay? These passages of Nehemiah and Ruth and Ezra are in perfect harmony with one another. Jesus ate with sinners in order to bring them to repentance, not to affirm them in their sin. The prodigal son returned to his father based on his repentance. The marriages in Nehemiah's day were not based on repentance, so they were obviously wrong. Likewise, the passage that you want to go to in the New Testament for this, for the believer, is 2 Corinthians 6, where we are told that there is no fellowship between light and darkness, between righteousness and lawlessness. Okay? Come out from among them and be separate. Okay? Um, John says, though, in 1 John 1, in verse 9, that if we confess and repent our sins, we're what? Forgiven. Okay? And Ruth is converted, which is the basis of her being welcomed into God's people. All of this is to say that, yes, the gospel is for all people. But to be put in a right relationship with God requires the gospel. Not, not going around the gospel in order to get that relationship with God. It requires repentance. If you try to short-circuit that by assuming that you can be a child of God without the gospel, then you are cast out. Is that the difference clear here? All right, so uh, where do we go from here? I'm going to read to you what one writer says uh, in his biblical theology on this book. Uh, from the strands of seemingly dis disparate and mundane events, a famine that leads to exile, 10 years of barrenness, bereavement, the persistence of a Moabite girl, the field in which she happens to glean, Yahweh has woven a magnificent tapestry of mercy. The cloth of this tapestry is canonical fabric. He just has woven a beautiful story together that elevates and highlights God's divine grace and kindness and mercy and compassion to his people. God's fingerprints are all over this story. And my prayer is that the book of Ruth would be a joy and an encouragement to all of us as we study this and work through it together. So I have four points of application here. Um, the first one is to recognize divine sovereignty and providence in all things. Praise the Lord for his control of all events. Rest in his wisdom and goodness and ordering all things after the counsel of his will. Okay? There can just be a moment here where we just stop and pause and just recognize, okay, God's ordering this. Okay, I kind of feel like Naomi in this moment. Kind of feel like my life is bitter, that God's hand has been against me, but no, let me stop. God's providence is in all of this. He's working it out. I don't know how, but I'm just going to trust. Ruth points us to that. Second, look to Jesus Christ alone for redemption. This is the, again, the gospel is woven throughout the pages of Ruth. It's a thread that you can just pull, and it's all throughout every verse in this book. Um, 
it uses a human example of someone who steps in and provides redemption, and we see the ultimate example of that is in Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Christ as Savior, the exhortation for you is repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, pursue this hesed, this loving kindness or loyalty in all things as Christ has shown, has said to us. Um, you see a little bit of that theme here in Ruth where God is showing loving kindness to his people. And you see even Ruth um, starting to show this to others uh, and Boaz for sure. And so we're called to go and do in like manner. And then finally, come to Christ on his terms. Recognize that the gospel requires repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ. Those who stand without Christ's imputed righteousness will be cast out of the kingdom. This is a very severe and serious thing. Um, I, somehow, broad evangelicalism has translated the kindness of Christ into affirmation of whatever you want to do. That is, that is absolutely the farthest thing from what Christ is doing. Okay? Jesus is compassionate towards sinners, and you have not sinned enough to where you have out-sinned God's grace. Okay? The gospel is open. Um, but it is on his terms. It's not earning it, but it is repentance and faith towards Christ. And that's what the gospel is. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Thank you for this time that we could be here um, together to work through the book of Ruth. I pray that it would be a blessing and encouragement to all of us, that we would look to you for our salvation and our redemption. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.